Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. This year we've been on a journey through the book of Romans and we're up to chapter 8 this morning. I want to read for you the first four verses of that. If you've got your Bible there or it's up on the screen behind me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the, righteousness, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Awesome. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be working through this. Let me pray first and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to join together this morning. We pray that you'd speak to us and change us and help us to know what's going on in this passage. And yeah, we pray for your grace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few years ago on a Tuesday night, uh, after growth group one night, there was eight young adults here in this church building and we got a knock on the front door which is a bit weird because it was 10 o'clock at night and if you've ever been in the tech park, there's basically no one here at night. So we opened the door and it was two people and they uh, were friendly people and they invited us to a party down the road. They said they were playing a party game to see how many strangers they could get come to their party. Now, I don't know what you'd say in that moment. For me, not thinking that they would answer this in the way I thought they would, I said, on behalf of the, se- you know, the eight of us, the seven others, we'll come if you come to church on Sunday. Which put us in a little bit of a tricky spot when they said they would. <laughs> so here we are, I'm stuck with this dilemma. Do I go, just joking, right? There's no way we're coming to a weird party at 10 o'clock at night. Or do we do it? And so we looked at each other and we went, there's eight of us, strength in numbers, let's go. <laughs> so we started walking down the road, and within 15 seconds, the red flags began to appear. The, the first red flag was, as we were talking to them about what kind of party this was, it changed from a party to a conference. So not a party, but a conference. Great, I'm thinking to myself, we've just signed up eight of us to a pyramid scheme. <laughs> but the red flags kept going, right? Because we, we were sort of going, okay, do we keep going? We kept walking, and then all of a sudden, we found out what the conference was. It was a self-help conference. Red flag number two came when we started Googling this conference, and although you don't live your life by Google autofill, you're worried when the first thing it says is, is this conference a cult? So red flag number two, but we kept going. And we made our way to the conference building, and the final red flag appeared. When we walked into the building, they gave us name tags, they tried to get our details, and the speaker made a beeline for us, And he said to us, look, this is going to help you sign up. It's only going to cost you $800 up front for a conference in six months' time. So at 10.30 at night on a Tuesday, the eight of us, only one of us signed up that night as well, I should just say, but the 
That is actually true. <laughs> we walked out of the building and I said, thank goodness no one signed up. And he's like, I did. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. He's all right, he's good. But, but we left. We left the conference. And uh, it was good. And, and we reflected on it. And all of us felt a little bit uneasy, the eight of us. We debriefed for a little while. And as I think about it and reflect on this moment for us too, it was, it was this thing that for all of us, we felt a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason we felt uncomfortable the whole time was because as we we kept asking, what is this thing? What's on offer here? Why do we need it? And what are we going to miss if we don't come to your party? It kept changing. They were never honest with us. First it was a party, then it was a conference, then it was we need $800 from you. And the whole time that just felt uneasy. And it felt uneasy because if you're going to sign up for anything, you've got to know what's on offer. You've got to know what's on offer before you sign up to anything. You've got to know why you need it and what you're going to miss if you reject it. And that's true for conferences at 10.30 at night. It's true for subscription services and anything else we sign up to. And obviously, it's true for Christianity as well. Right? When we come to the Bible, it's worth actually asking, what, what does the Bible offer us? What is on offer here when we open up the Bible? And, and why do we need it? And what do we miss if we're going to reject it? Well, we're going to look at that in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to see there's, there's three things from this passage. And, and you notice if you've been with us, the first seven chapters of Romans have kind of been all about the vibe has been what we're saved from. Now the tone changes a little bit. And he's going to talk about what's on offer and what we're saved into. And there's, there's three things. And notice the first one in the first four verses there. It says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh on the cross in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So what does Christianity have on offer? We're going to see three things. And the the first is in these opening four verses and it's that we, we got the offer of a new status. It's the offer of a new status where we can know that before God, we are forgiven. That there is no condemnation. That before the one who matters most, the God of the universe, that we can stand right before him, secure before him, because in Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again, we can stand and there is no condemnation for us. Now, this is the opposite. This offer here is the opposite of what we've seen for seven chapters. We've been reminded over and over again how we are not good. Right? The Bible uses this word sin, but I don't think we need the Bible to actually convince us that no one's good. Right? Culturally today, we know that. We, we always say this, no one's perfect. Everyone knows that no one's perfect. We know that no one does the good thing all the time. We know that occasionally people don't do the good thing, that they're not loving, that they're not selfless all of the time. And then we know occasionally we stuff up. So we do the wrong thing. We, we get that. We, we snap sometimes. We do the wrong thing. We, we do the selfish thing the unloving thing. We know that no one's perfect. And this is what the Bible shows us. In fact, it gives it this word that no one's perfect. It calls it sin. Sin is the the good things we don't do, the bad things we do. And it's living this life of ignorance of God. You know, we just ignore God, whether it's a a moment, a day, a week, a month, our whole lives. And, And the problem with sin is, what the Bible says, is that there's an issue for us here because it leads to something pretty bad. It leads to condemnation. You know, we've been reflecting on this. In Romans 3, we saw no one's good. There is no one right. No one, everyone lives a life hostile to God. 
Then we saw again in chapter 3, we all lack the glory of God. And then finally in chapter 6, verse 23, the kicker of all of this, the wages of sin is death. So it might be okay in your house that no one's perfect. But before God, the problem is that the consequences of our sin leads to death. The, The wages of sin is death. We deserve condemnation because God is holy and just, and he's the perfect judge, and our hostility has come up against him. We deserve death. So what do we do about this? What do we do about this problem of sin that leads to death, the problem we all find ourselves in? Well, this week I came across someone else who found themselves in a similar situation as they were reflecting on Romans 6.23. And it was from a guy from Zimbabwe called Stephen Lungu. And his story is amazing. He died earlier this year from COVID complications. But this is his story. He was, at 20 years old, a gang leader in Zimbabwe, a terrorist. And uh, one day he heard that South Africans were coming to town with a rally in a tent. And he said to his gang, we know that nothing good comes out of South Africa. And so what he wanted to do was he wanted to kill all of them. So him and his gang come up with this plan. We're going to petrol bomb it. So the 12 of them split into pairs. They all have bags full of petrol bombs. And the plan was at 7 p.m., he would whistle, and they'd all throw their bombs in. And his words were, I I want everyone to die. Now he rocks up early, 6.55. And the guy that he's with says, why don't we go in and just check it out? And so he says, all right, we'll give it two minutes. So he goes in. And the first thing that this guy hears, Stephen Long, this terrorist, the first thing he hears is Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And he said it was like the tent went silent. He said, no one's ever told me before that my actions are going to lead to death and not life. No one ever told him that his evil thoughts, his evil actions, what he did, wouldn't result in something better. And so here he was convicted about the relationships that he had failed. Here he was convicted that he hated his father and his mother. Here he was thinking about the day before where he screamed at the stovetop because it wouldn't work for him. Here he was convicted about his evil actions. Here he was realizing that the wages of sin is death. Now, I I love the way he describes this. It's better than I could describe it. This is what he said. It's on the screen. I was a very simple, literal person with no sophistication whatsoever. And to me, it was as if that preacher was standing up there talking about only me and telling everyone the secrets of my heart. I had not realized then that people's hearts are very much the same. By now, our planned attack was quite forgotten. The preacher's pointing finger had me mesmerized. But I never dreamed of leaving the tent. Instead, I decided to be clever and in my simple, literal way, avoid his finger by ducking down every time he pointed. Soon I was bobbing up and down like a duck. My bag of homemade petrol bombs bounced about alarmingly. Isn't that wild? Like this terrorist standing there with petrol bombs in his bag, ducking up and down to avoid the feeling of condemnation? But this is what he felt. He felt this feeling. He realized that the wages of sin is death, that his results weren't going to, his life wasn't going to lead to life. His decisions weren't going to lead to life, but to death. So what does he do in this tent with these petrol bombs? Well, he listens. And the preacher goes on to talk about how in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is a solution to this feeling of condemnation. It's in Jesus. 
In Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ, who trust in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, because it's there that Jesus died instead of us. It's there that we can have the hope of eternal life. And so for Stephen Lungu, in that tent, in that moment, he became a Christian. And he goes on to live his life telling Africa about the message of Jesus. And he becomes one of the greatest missionaries in Africa until he died earlier this year of COVID. But he did this because he wanted everyone to know that there is an answer to the problem that we face. But it's only in Jesus. No one else can deal with condemnation. None of us can fix that ourselves. It's only found in Jesus, in his death and resurrection alone. And so we see the first thing that's on offer here. For us, in in Christianity, the first thing it offers us is the message that we can be forgiven before God, that we can have this status where there is no condemnation for us. But as we keep reading, it's not just that that we see that's on offer. We keep reading and we see there's something else here as well for us. And we see this kind of from the next few verses, from verse 5 through to verse 13, and we see there's a new allegiance and a new victory. Now, in, in this passage, you can see there's some stuff here where he talks about the flesh and the spirit. And what he's doing there is talking about the old life and the new life. Now, the flesh, he says, it's not skin, although it sounds like that. What he's talking about is what's temporary, what's worldly, right? What's here and now. And he says, for the person who focuses on the temporary, they live their life governed by the temporary, right? Where we just live our life for here and now. And you can see it in the highlighted bits up there. It's, it's where we're governed by what's temporary and it leads to death. It's hostile to God. It can't please God. And eventually, at the end, for the person who lives their life this way, governed by the flesh, it's going to result in death. But then he says there's this new life on offer, and it's the life of the Spirit. This is not what's temporary. This is living the life that's governed by God, where we're living with new sets of desires, new purposes, new focuses. And here, when we're in this life, governed by God, there's life, there's peace. And at the end of our life, there is no condemnation. And Paul, basically, what he's doing here is he's saying, okay, so what are you going to live for? Are you going to live for the flesh, for what's temporary, for what's here and now, knowing that that's hostile to God and going to lead to death? Or are you going to lead, live a life, living under the Spirit, living under God, for God, that leads to life? There's a new victory here, but it means there's a new allegiance for us as well. So it's kind of like this, because I know it's a little bit, you know, Paul does this thing where he goes back and forth, and it feels a little bit odd, but it's kind of like this. So growing up, um, I, I played soccer, and um, like many of us here today, I played for Sunnybank, and I played for Sunnybank around the corner for 12 years of my life, and I didn't bleed blue and yellow, but I was there pretty much every Saturday for 12 years. And if you were on a team, you know this experience. If your team wins, you win. If your team loses, you lose. But you have to play, right? You've got to pull the jersey on and get out there and actually play for that team. However, there was a moment when I turned 18 that some friends of mine were playing for Westminster. And they asked me to come and play for their team. And so I made the unforgivable move to go and play for Westminster. Now, you know, it wasn't our arch rival. You know, if you were playing for Sunnybank, that was the Scorpions. Always hated the Scorpions. But Westminster just felt a bit wrong. You know, it was, they had green jerseys based in Ipswich. Just felt a bit off. But I went and I, I played for Westminster. Now, in that year, we played, I played there two years. And over the two years, we, we'd actually play Sunnybank a few times. 
And if you picture it, when I played for Sunnybank, there's literally new goals. You know, when you go out there, there's a new purpose, there's a new center, you've got a new thing that you're doing there. You've changed directions, you're going for a new goal. And in the last game that we played for Westminster, it was the grand final, and we were playing Sunnybank, and we won. And I relive what happened 12 years ago every night as I go to sleep at night. I don't, but we won. And in this way, right, in this way, the change of allegiance actually led to a change in victory. The change of teams meant that we won, meant that I had the victory. But you see, if I wanted the victory, I needed to pull the jersey on. I needed to get out there and play and have that new purpose and that new center. This is kind of the idea of what Paul's saying here. If we want the victory of the Bible, if we want the victory of the cross, and there is victory there, Jesus has conquered death. The tomb is empty. But if we want the victory, it's going to mean for us a change in allegiance. It's going to mean we actually change what we're living for, our purpose, our center, what we're running after. And Paul's question here is, what are you going to live for? You can live for the flesh, you can live for what's temporary, but see, it's hostile to God. It leads to death. Or you can live under Jesus, for Jesus, and that leads to life. So the first thing we see is this new status. We can be forgiven. The second thing is a new victory with a new allegiance. And then the final thing that we see from this passage is from verse 14, where we see we have this new relationship. Notice how he speaks about this from verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit... You received, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. The final thing we see on offer here is this message that we can have this new relationship with God. And the relationship that we have or that we're invited into is where we see God, the God of the universe, as Father and where we are His children. Now, there's a lot of stuff in this passage here about the Spirit. And the God of the Bible has revealed Himself as three in one, the Father who loves and wills, the Son who comes into the world. Historically, Jesus entered in, proved Himself with signs and wonders, died on a cross, rose again, and then the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in power. He's kind of the one that works behind the scenes, but he's the one that does the powerful stuff. So you kind of think about, when you think of the Spirit, it's kind of like the wind. You know, if you look out today and you see the wind, you, you don't physically see wind, but you see the power of the wind. You see it move the trees. You feel the presence of the wind on your skin. This is kind of like the Holy Spirit. That's the work there. We don't physically see him, but we see his power. So the power for Jesus to rise from the dead, we're told in this passage that's the work of the Spirit. The power of Stephen Lungu not to bomb that tent, that's the Holy Spirit. And we're told that the Spirit also works in great power as well to give us this feeling, this sense, and not just this feeling or this sense, but this relationship with God where we call Him Father and He sees us as children. In fact, we see there the Spirit says, we cry, Abba, Father. Now I know that sounds weird, feels weird. What's Abba? What's going on there? But, but Abba is Aramaic for father. You know, you might have heard people say that it's kind of like the English version of daddy, you know, where kids cry that out. It's kind of true, 
kind of not true, but it does get at that idea of the closeness of the relationship. But Abba, Father, is significant for another reason. And the significance of this is from Jesus. Because in Jesus' life, before he goes to the cross, there's this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's about to die. And in that moment, he prays. And he addresses God, and he addresses God like this. He says, Abba, Father. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so what Paul's doing here in this passage is saying we have the same relationship that Jesus had with God the Father. That's why he says there we're adopted into sonship. And I know that sounds weird, feels weird, but in the ancient world, it was a patriarchal society where the eldest son got the inheritance. The eldest son was the heir to the throne. And this is saying whether you're a male or a female, you're invited into the inheritance, into this position this favored position in the family where you are a child of the living God and he is your father. This is obviously a big deal. You know, today you saw Poppy being baptized. So you know that Elizabeth and I have been thinking a little bit about this more in the last few months than ever before. In fact, I've got to confess that before Poppy was born, Ross and Ryan, they would always kind of bang on about this idea of how good it is that God is father and and adoption. And I appreciated that, but I don't think I ever felt the experience of how good that is. It wasn't until for me that we had this moment where for Poppy, it was her second scan. I went into that second scan, and you, if you kind of can picture it, you don't really know anything that's going on. I didn't. But then you see the heartbeat. And in that moment, for the first time really in my life, I just wanted that feeling. I just had that feeling that I just wanted the best for her. I was hoping that scan, there'd be nothing wrong with her. And then Poppy was born, and it was a pretty crazy uh, first month, and then it's been a pretty crazy first four months. In fact, for Elizabeth and I, I mean, we, we pretty much look at each other every day and say, this is so hard. <laughs> like, it's, it's been really difficult for us, and the, diff- the most difficult season of our life, but something happens when we're holding Poppy. And it, like, it doesn't matter if, like, if me and Elizabeth are fighting, doesn't matter what's going on in the house. When you hold that girl, when we hold that girl, just that feeling there of love, a feeling there that you want the best for her, and it doesn't matter what's going on, and that you do anything for her. This is why this is significant. This is why people throughout history have called adoption, the idea that God adopts us as the highest privilege that we could have. Because here it is saying that, that God invites us into that type of relationship where he loves us, and he's for us, and he'd do anything for us, and he did. As Jesus went to the cross, the agony of that moment, not just for the son, but for the father, to watch that unfold, to not do anything about that. But he did that so that we could be invited into that relationship, so that for us, We're no longer strangers, we're no longer slaves, we're no longer outcasts, we're invited into this relationship where God is our loving Father. So you see, this is what Christianity offers us. This is why we need this and what we're missing if we reject it. It's the offer of forgiveness. It's the offer of a new victory and a new allegiance. It's the offer of a new relationship. And to get this, there's no sign-up fee. It's not like you've got to pay $800 to get this. It's simply through trusting in Jesus. That's how we get this relationship. That's how we're invited into this. Now, it is worth for a moment just reflecting on what this means for us. 
or reflect on how this changes our life because there are some implications when we grasp this truth. So three quick things for us this morning based on these three things. Three quick things. The, the first one, the implication of understanding this, relation, this status that we have with God, that there is no condemnation, it gives us relational security. And when we grasp this, what it means is before God, we know that the one who matters most, we can be secure, that we are right. And when we get the relational security vertically, it impacts and changes our relationships horizontally. You see, I don't know about you, but for me, I notice that I am most insecure when I forget what God says about me. And insecurities are relational killers, right? Like it's, it's insecurities. It's the insecure person that can't handle the judging eyes from strangers. You ever feel that? I felt that, where you see someone just judging you, condemning you. It's insecurities that let that crush you. It's the insecure person that, for negative comments, just stew on that for weeks and weeks and weeks. Man, I've been there. It's insecurities that mean I can't let people disagree with me. When we don't have relational security, it affects us with other people. We have these insecurities where everything negative crushes us. But then it goes the other way as well. It's not just despair, it's also arrogance. If we're insecure, we feel like we always have to defend ourselves. We have to talk up our achievements. We can't say that we're sorry because that's admitting something's wrong. Insecurities ruin us in despair or arrogance. So what's the solution to this? Well, you could go to a self-help conference. That might help you, but it's not grounded in anything. Whereas this is grounded in something. It's grounded in truth. It's grounded in God. It's grounded in the fact that the God of the universe says that he knows us and accepts us. If we grasp this truth, we can have relational security with God and that will transform the relationships we have with other people. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing's got to do with the new victory, the new allegiance. And what this means for us on the ground is that we've actually got to make a decision, what are we going to live for? You see, the great lie, the great lie of the day is to think that we can take heaven and still live however we want to live right here and now. You know, like, this is how Christians end up being hypocrites. Because they go, I want heaven, I don't want hell, but I also just want to do whatever I want to do. I want the relationship I want. I want to be liked. I want more money. I want to live for right here and right now. Of course I don't want bad stuff later on. I want heaven, but I just don't want to live the way that God calls me to now. But Paul says it's not how it works. It can't be. That's not how allegiance works. And that's not how the victory works either. We've got to make a decision here. Either we take the victory and the allegiance or we leave both. Either we live for what's temporary. We chase after what's here and now. But we've got to know that at the end of our life, we will face God by ourselves. Or we trust in Jesus. And we live for him, knowing that at the end of the day, Jesus steps in our place and there is no condemnation. That's the decision that we've got to make. That's, that's what the Bible's showing us here. And we get, we've got the freedom to make that decision. So the first thing, relational security. Second thing, about the allegiance and the victory. And then the third thing is to do with this relationship that we have with God. When we grasp this relationship that we have with God the Father, it transforms us. And it transforms us to dependence on Him. You know, like we saw earlier with the kids on the stage clinging to their father, clinging to their parents, 
This too is what changes in us when we grasp that God is our Father, that He is not an absent Father, He's not a bad Father like many of our earthly fathers. He's a perfect, loving Father. When we grasp this, it transforms us into dependence. What does it look like to cling to the Father in heaven? Well, we see this over and over again in the Bible. It's simple. It's through prayer. Prayer is the mark of someone who grasps the Father. Prayer is the mark of someone who is dependent on God. And so this is an invitation to get to know the Father and to live a life of dependence where we are people marked by prayer. Whether it's the prayer in our hearts, the prayer out of our mouths when we're on our knees, or the prayers that we sing. And so this is an invitation for us this morning to practice this. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to have a chance to practice this dependence on God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And when we sing, let's practice this dependence. Let's sing these words from the depths of our heart to our Father who loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we see the reality of what you are offering to us. And it's wild, Lord, that you would invite people like us into such an intimate relationship with you. God, we ask that you would help us understand what this means and understand what this looks like. And we pray particularly, Lord, if we're on some sort of journey, that you would continue to help us figure out what the next step for us is. And we pray that you would continue to lead us home, Lord, to the Father who wants us, loves us, is for us, and went to such big lengths to show us his love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.